Hi, I'm Justine. And I'm Sarah LaVon. And we are so glad you're here. We believe that your life has the potential to make a deep, meaningful impact on the world around you. You, as a nurse, have the ability to add value to every single person and patient you touch. We want to inspire you with resources, education, and stories to support you to live your absolute best life, both in and outside of work. But don't expect perfection over here. We're just here to have some conversations about anything birth, work, and life, trying to add some happy to your hour as we all grow together. By nurses, for nurses, this is Happy Hour with Bundle Birth Nurses. I have been looking forward to this guest on the podcast since we started season two, and I feel like I do say that a lot. I guess we just look forward to a lot of episodes we record on this podcast, but she is a good friend of ours and she's going to bring you lots of nuggets today on this episode. And this person is Jen Atkinson and she is going to introduce herself a little bit and we're going to get right into it because we have some very important questions to ask her about all things, getting sued, titrating pit, calming our nervous systems. So we're just going to learn all the little nuggets today. So Jen, if you want to just introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Jen Atkinson. I'm a labor and delivery nurse, um, still staff nurse, um, per diem staff nurse at my little hospital. I've been a nurse. I just renewed my license. So I've been a nurse since 2007. You know, I do all the things like education and why most people like to listen to anything that comes out of my mouth is um, I do quite a bit of like consulting and expert witness work um, and have for the last eight-ish years. I think people want to listen to you more than just because of that. I think there's a lot of knowledge in there. I was driving today and I was like, I just want to know all the things that are in your head. And then I was thinking I get to sit in this Zoom room right now with you and Sarah. Like if I had all of your guys' knowledge in my head, I feel very privileged. I just wanted to say that. But I was listening to the Selfie podcast this morning and last night as preparation to be, to let's talk to you today. And you said something that was like, oh my gosh, I like wanted to write it down. I didn't have any paper, but you mentioned that people say a lot of times like, well, I don't want to lose my license or I'm not getting sued. But in reality, what they're saying is I don't want my patient to get hurt. And I loved that because when I hear someone say like, I'm going to lose my license or I don't want to risk my license. I, there's a lot of emotional charge behind that. When I feel like it is true. It, it does go down to, I don't want my patient to get hurt. And I just, I loved that mindset. And I wanted to know if you wanted to talk a little about that first, before we start of how that could change the way they practice and like how they can look at losing their license or getting sued differently than they do if they change that flip in their head. Yeah. I think that, so most of my work around lawsuits, like, I think when you go to a typical, like talk, they're always like how to document to prevent liability or like there are these really like negative, you always leave being like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. And, you know, I started teaching legal stuff at the same time I was becoming more trauma aware and more trauma informed. And those two pieces to me just really went together. And so I, I do believe people always make sense if we know everything behind it. And so when nurses say, I don't want to lose my license or I'm not going to do that, they say it because it works. It's like an immediate back off, right? It's like the, you know, animal signal, like back off um, thing. And everybody does respect that. That's almost like this like line in nursing that you would never cross. Like you, you could never ask somebody to do something that would put their license in jeopardy. And we know it and we use it. Um but people make sense. And I think one, <laughs> that's not how people lose their licenses. Like it's just a basic misunderstanding of these systems. Like we have, there's multiple systems in play here. One's the board of nursing, which is licensure. One's civil court, which is where like birth injury, malpractice, all that plays out. And then very rarely we have like a criminal court, which we did see come into play in the last year with nursing negligence, but still super rare, probably not, hopefully not going (laughs) to happen or come in when it comes to like labor and delivery stuff. Um, But what the truer thought I think is, which is a really more tender, like more vulnerable thing to connect to is when we say that, what we're really saying is like, I don't want to do that. 
right? Because the only way you're going to lose your license is if somebody's getting hurt. The only way there's a lawsuit is if somebody's getting hurt. So when you say, I'm not going to do that, I want to end up in court, what you're saying is like, someone could get hurt or like, this isn't safe. But for some reason, we we connect more to that defensive part than that like tender, vulnerable part. Yeah. We don't want to be tender and vulnerable at work. We are tender and vulnerable at work and it gets us destroyed sometimes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys do so much with like um, Krista Dancy and stuff and that trauma awareness. And like, there's so many good educators out there around like, regulation, nervous system regulation, how it's our superpower. But man, if you start using your nervous system, it's out there. And it's also, it's our power place, but it's also our vulnerable place. Mm -hmm. And so I get why nurses are really um, skittish around that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I'm wondering though, if we change the narrative to, I don't want anyone to get hurt it would cause less fear around getting sued. Cause these new nurses are hearing these nurses saying, look, well, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to lose my license. That's going to hang you in court. And it's like, what all like day one, we start hearing that. And so that yeah. could be a way, do you feel like that could be a way to decrease oh, the fear? When people start tapping into that, that's when that like advocate self really starts mm-hmm. to like galvanize. Um, and I see that with nurses that's simultaneously, I think people aren't surprised at how much less scary it is. Because when I say like in the court of law, everybody goes like, right. Like you feel it like in your body. It's how you get that real visceral. But if I say like, Hey, let's talk about patient safety. Everybody's like boring. Right. But lawsuits, yeah. except that's, it gets that charge out of us. Like you were saying, yeah. but safety we know that we can do that. Mm. We know how to do that. Um, yeah. What is the actual, can you give us like a blurb of what you would tell a new grad labor and delivery nurse about the actual risk to our license? Uh, it, like non-existent basically. Um, yeah, the, the state boards of nursing aren't interested in taking away nurses license. So whether it's a lawsuit or a state like a licensure action with the board of nursing there typically there has to be some sort of complaint something has to have gone wrong well how do things go wrong they go wrong because for the vast majority of them is because we've deviated from those like safety practices that we know we we deviate from that advocacy we deviate from informed consent we deviate from shared decision making we those are the things we deviate from somebody gets hurt and now there's an action there's there's probably a lot more actions in with like malpractice um, than there is with licensure but you want to hear how savage Oregon is and this might help people they send every licensed nurse in the state once a quarter a list of all the names of who's had a licensure action or investigation and what oh they did. Oh my gosh. So, and you can go online and look. So go to the Oregon State Board of Nursing, little baby nurses and read what gets people's license taken away. It's usually like having sex with a client <laughs> or oh. like, like old old people's homes going south with like, you, you mm-hmm. know, it's a lot yeah. of that kind of stuff. Um, narcotic, you like, like, uh, stealing narcotics, that kind of stuff. It's not you getting your patient out of bed when they're ruptured or something, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like pretty, it's usually pretty like Mm -hmm. scandalous type stuff, but yeah, you can go read everything that that all the, how nurses in Oregon, at least get (laughs) licensure actions. And it's, yeah, usually like fascinating that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. We, when I was in nursing school, we had to go to the California board of nursing, like a hearing and sit there and watch it. And I remember it was so boring. I was so bored. Cause it was all like, you would think as a nursing student, I'd be like, this is so cool, but it was all like DUIs or stealing narcotics. Like you're saying. And I was like dying. And then all of a sudden I'm like falling asleep and I hear the person say like, and so it's true. You were standing in his bathroom with a bat waiting for him to come home. And we were all like, what? We all like <laughs> looked up and I was very excited at that point, but it made me realize, like you said, like it's, it's a lot of those kind of reasons that you uh, lose your license. It wasn't clinical. It's, like it's reasons. not like I'm a good, kind, caring, well-meaning nurse. And I it inadvertently did something. Yeah. Wrong. Like exactly. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's a, um, important 
potential practice change or culture change <laughs> that needs to take place. Honestly, I feel like I've learned more about legal nursing in the last like couple of years of bundle birth stuff and talking to people like you. And I think I, my nervous system has been downregulated strictly by education. We talk about what helps downregulate our patients is understanding about the process, right? The shared decision-making process or patient education stuff. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's normal. But how often, and I, I, I challenge everyone listening that like, think about how often legal is thrown around on your unit as that excuse. And I love that you framed it that way, that it's like this, it's sort of this like, I'm scared or I'm nervous about patient safety or I'm uncomfortable with something going on and I don't want to move forward with it. And yet if we were to shift the narrative, how much less we would be so nervous at work, you know, and be more free to like practice and like, think about it as like, I have an art and a skill that I'm applying to these patients that I'm caring for. You should feel great at work. That is, yeah. I am here for that. But uh, like two things that I always kind of like quick shifts is when you hear like for new nurses. So like charge new nurse, whoever preceptor, whoever, you know, whatever says throws out the like in the court of law or whatever, just for a moment, say, how do you know? Like, <laughs> how do you, you know? imagine? <laughs> right. Only 5% of nurses have, are ever going to be deposed. And, and in a lawsuit, it's not like, uh, right. We think it's, we think it's like inevitable. Oh, I was told you just wait, you just wait. No, it's coming. Only, only 5% of, of all nurses, um, labor and delivery is not even the most highly like sued area. And in a, in, in a lawsuit, there might be 10 nurses getting deposed, but we're really only asking about like one or two. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think what you said is like, it, you know, the, the way I kind of talk about the, it's, um, for anything, right. Hemorrhage, like anything is that scary is the first step is to make the unknown known. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. How much, how we, we do that all the time mm -hmm. in our lives is once we have it all built up and then yep. we learn about it. And so, yeah. So a lot of the times I just start with like, do you even know how the lawsuit system works? Here's how it works. Um, but just making that unknown known can already mm -hmm. like release a lot of that fear for people. Mm -hmm. Well, and we make up story. It's don't write their story. We talk about that with other people, but we make up story about like, and that's the anxiety cycle that I talk about with clients in particular of like one thing leads to this and then leads to this. And then I'm here and now I'm, I'm sued. And then I lose my license and I lose my whole life. And now I'm homeless on the street. Like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> story is wild. Right. And yeah. it and pervasive and that people would live with that for a 30 year career or a yeah. Or they have lived too with that much. their entire career. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, that's not cool. We don't, we need, we need our, we need our nervous system for way more important things yes. than spending on this thing. That's like very unlikely to even happen. Hmm. Well, thank you for that. I love that. So I wanted to ask you, and I didn't, I didn't give you this ahead of time. So okay. if you have to think about it for a second, but I did give you, I wanted you to explain what a prudent nurse means and maybe talk a little bit about your class that you give. Cause I, it's a great class. I've taken it. And then on the opposite side of that, if you can lean into what would an L and D nurse do that would be deemed negligent? Like what are some things that you've seen that are negligent on the L and D nurse side specifically for nurses to hear? Like, don't do this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Reasonable and prudent is like the name of my course. And I took that because um, it's what the definition of the standard of care is. Um, and every state, it reads a little bit different, but it'll be, you'll find it in their jury instructions. Um, so standard of care is actually not even a nursing term. It's a legal term. Like we don't, we didn't come up with it. They came up with it. And it's the measure that juries have to decide the merits of a malpractice case on, for instance. Um, but the standard of care for an architect or a star, so there's standards of care for, for, for all sorts of liability, but for nursing, it's what a reasonable or prudent nurse would do in the same or similar circumstance. So it's highly, highly contextual. And that's why when you hear people say these, like, don't chart, you know, no new order, you know, you always hear these little quick things do not get caught up in those. Um, it's what a reasonable prudent nurse would do in the same or similar circumstance. 
And the biggest standard of care is just to use that nursing process. Um, and once you've been doing it a while, like if I go back and look at my, like, I'll look back at like my charting and it's, oh yeah, I showed my assessment. I showed what I thought was going on. I did some interventions Then I reassessed. And, you, you know, we see this, that it goes, we do that over and over and over and over. Um, so the things that I see nurses, um, the claims, like when I'm reviewing a chart, how it works is like the hospital's named, but the nurses are the agent of the hospital. Um, so nurses that don't actually get sued. That's the other myth that people don't realize. Um, the hospital gets sued, but they're also named as like employees or agents or something like that. Um, and so we have to say like how they didn't meet the standard of care. Like, and so a lot of them the, the actually the most, and this surprises people, everyone thinks it's like documentation. It's actually knowledge deficits. Um, and you guys see that, right? Nurses, I God bless them. God bless those nurses who are like coming to our classes, who are all over getting that Instagram education. But it is technically a standard of care for the hospital to have nurses be trained. Um, but yeah, the joint commissions found that Crico, which is a big like malpractice insurance is, um, we all think it's, we hear either communication or documentation, but it's actually, um, knowledge deficits. How does that show up when they're being deposed? Mm, so how that, so like a very typical example is, um, like, failure to um, maintain fetal oxygenation. And I'll see, you know, just tachycystole, 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 and they're either keeping the pit the same, they might even be increasing the Pitocin um, because they were trained to pit through pit it out. Pit it out. <laughs> so that's a knowledge deficit, right? Uh -huh. One, you can't pit it out. And two, they don't understand that, you know, they'll be asked questions around like, do you know what happens during a contraction? The lawyers will even softball it and be like, do you agree that the oxygen is reduced during a contraction to the fetus? And they'll say, I don't know. Of course it does. We all know that. <laughs> like, um, So whether they really don't know or they're afraid in the moment in a deposition, but um, it'll be sort of those really common, it'll just be like basic, 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 basic physiology questions that they ask them to sort of establish, does this nurse have the knowledge? Um, you know, they'll ask them, why might too many contractions be dangerous, right? This is like, you, you would just say like, I'd be worried the baby isn't getting enough oxygen, but they'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, Sarah, God, girl, you should read some of my depositions. I got to read. <laughs> you can't see my face, but every time she says like, I don't know, I'm like, oh, huh? Yeah. So it's these really big, it's just these, these really glaring sort of like basic physiologic huh. knowledge of what happens during the labor process. And, and that's a pretty easy standard to prove, right? Because we have A1 textbooks, we've got, um, like NCLEX, I think even asks questions that basic. It's in our nursing school books. It's, um, there's articles about it. It's in the fetal monitoring court, right? It, that's like a very basic amount of knowledge to know. Mm -hmm. And even more basic beyond that is like, if you walked up to like a pregnant person at the Trader Joe's or something, like for sure pregnant, don't like accidentally walk up to somebody and they're like, I'm not pregnant. I mean, you'd say like, do you think your nurse is going to know like labor physiology <laughs> and, and the, the patient's going to be like the pregnant person's going to be like, what do you mean? Like, of course, yes. Like, right. right. There's like the social contract that we're really not living up to because we've gotten so, um, you know, we're just, we don't know what we don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So would you say that education is one of the best ways to protect your license? Uh, yes, Sarah, I would definitely say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I haven't even made that connection for what we do, but now I'm like, oh, interesting. Another benefit. Right. right. I, yeah, I don't, yeah. There's very little like core knowledge things that I teach. Like I teach fetal monitoring for A1, you know, but, um, 
but yeah, in like our reasonable and prudent course or a lot of this other classes mm-hmm. I have, it's really just like, we start with knowledge where a lot of hospitals jump to communication. Well, right. Like, well, if sure, if you've got a communication issue in your hospital, that that's a good place to start. But like, why do you have a communication issue? Well, either nurses don't know what to, com- they would communicate if they knew, knew that this was important. They don't, it, it, yeah. it usually is like that very, very first step before you get to even skills. Like mm-hmm. we usually start within the hospitals. Like you'll see them bring in like communication programs, team steps or whatever, which expects you to speak up for safety. What if you don't know it's not safe? Or then they'll like back up and they're like, let's do simulations. Well, what if you don't know why recognize, like, you know, why not to like pit somebody like crazy that's going to cause a hemorrhage, right? So you've got these, like, you can only get so far. And then like advocacies really think that last part, but if you don't know what to advocate for, totally don't know what to do. So if you don't have knowledge, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say and you don't know what to advocate for. So that, that knowledge is like step one. Um, to further that, what if I have all of that? And then the provider disagrees. And it's like, well, there's moderate variability, like, yeah, tachycystole, but moderate variability. So keep going. How do I chart that to show the court, hypothetically, if we're going to court and to keep the patient safe, how do I chart that so that they know that I was, you know, any nurse would do the same thing I did, you know, the little thing you had, the blurb you had. Oh, did you turn off the pit? Well, what if they said, don't, they said, keep the pit going. Yeah. It's moderate variability. This is a chain of command issue. So, um, there's differences of opinion, right? Docs, midwives, whatever they do stuff that sometimes I disagree with, like the inductions here. And I'm like, Oh God, I don't think this person really needed to be induced, but not my call, not unsafe or whatever. But especially when we're talking about Pitocin, we start to, it's not just like a difference of opinion. We know there's like, I'm, I'm guessing your policy says not to keep the pit going, there's no research that says that that's a safe idea. We know basic physiology says that that's not a good idea. Um, and there's plenty of standards that say, even with moderate variability, anytime you have tachycystole, you have to intervene. And so that's one of those things that's not just like now a difference of opinion. And the Nurse Practice Act is going to say you have to challenge that. And um, so you would say, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm turning down the, I'm turning the Pitocin in half, um, which is most likely what your policy says to do. Um, and if they want to make a stink about it, then you would pull in your charge nurse. So you can have your little therapeutic triangle as Mm -hmm. I call it. (laughs) Explain that, explain your therapeutic triangulation and communication is generally not like a healthy dynamic. So like in family systems, triangulation is like where you talk about the person with a third person and then they talk. So you never, this is really not healthy, but I think when it comes to, we, it can be used therapeutically in this situation where Sometimes you just need that third person as a buffer to the conversation to reinforce, hey, yeah, we have this policy. It's not safe to continue Pitocin and tachycystole. We're going to turn it down by half. And in fact, most places you work, you're not going to need the provider's order to turn it down in half. Um, You're going to just be able to do that. I mean, if they're really throwing a fit, it. I remember the first time I read a case and it was so, I was like depressed for two weeks. I was like in my covers. It was like, we don't ever see what you see as an expert witness as a bedside nurse. Um, And I just remember thinking, I'm never going to choose my own comfort in that moment over keeping my patients safe. It is not easy, but every nurse has to mm. has to sit with that and know exactly what that means because, mm. oh my God, I have like, I've always worked in a fairly healthy place, but as a very new nurse, I remember this one doctor was just like vicious. And I just remember being like, we get beat up a lot at work. It's not cool. It's not fair, but you have to like make it crystal clear within you. Like, I know this is not safe. I am going, I I don't want to live with what could happen on the other side. Yeah. So, 
Well, and I think Pitocin is like the perfect example because I feel like that's probably, first of all, I've heard from you that that's one of the highest things that sends people to court. Like it's, it comes up in court all the time, but second that, that I feel like is one of those really big overarching issues at the bedside where there is that push and pull constantly of like, well, it needs to go off, but you know, my question is what if you don't have policies? Oh, cause some hospitals are just trying to get rid of their policies. Oh man. Or, I, I mean, I worked at a, it's a very large prominent wow. hospital in Los Angeles that has zero policies. Yeah. So the hospitals below the standard of care, the standard of care does require that hospitals give their, their nurses policies. It's like one of the, well, ba- there's like basic, so gonna- but not on like everything and especially OB, you know, like they have like a policy manual for like how to report things and whatnot, oh, but, but not mm-hmm. like an inpatient not Pitocin management. Okay. And it's not like in their order set. Mm, yeah. There would be directions in the direction set, probably. Yeah. And, like in the directions this is how it goes. Yeah. And like, turn it off if X, Y, okay. So yep. usually it lives in one. So when I say policies, they have to have something. So some places have mm-hmm. chosen to put those in the order sets, some people okay, that's outside. helpful. It's just that if one group of people's working, keeping the policies up to date, and usually the people who are working on like your epic order set stuff, they might be different people and they get out of sync. Mm. And then mm-hmm. when they mismatch and somebody just that can cry. So that's it. Some hospitals have identified that as a, as something they need to fix. So yeah, they've made them either live one place or the other. Okay. Um, what about specific to pit? Like, so I'm, I'm looking at contractions and I'm palpating and they're super mild. It looks like an irritable uterus, but they're showing up on the monitor as if it looks like tachycystole. Oh, but are they like at least 40 seconds? Yeah. 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 And it's showing up as tachycystole. Like well, it you- looks like tachycystole. Yeah. So that's going to be where some of this like art comes in. So like some of the questions that are going in my mind is like, you know, as a nurse, I'm thinking, okay, this is my patient. I'd be looking at like, well, what is the patient feeling? Um, are they dehydrated? Are they preterm? Um, mm-hmm. Are they showing any signs of chorea? Like all of the reasons that you might have that irritable uterus, but the research shows pretty clearly that like adding Pitocin to dysfunction doesn't make function. <laughs> um, mm, so good. it's like what why is a uterus irritable? And you have to have that knowledge to try and troubleshoot those things, right? Um, you have to be able to think through like, is this person getting chorea? Are they just dehydrated? Um, if I start to have tachycystole, but again, they're like, well, they're not making change. I've troubleshot everything else. Like baby's in a good position where, you know, ex, you know, we're, I've troubleshot all the other things, but they're not making progress that little 500 CC bolus will do wonders (laughs) for, because we can't tell one thing about oxytocin is it's very close to anti-diuretic hormone. So if somebody's dehydrated, they'll kind of get into that like irritable tachycystole or, and even like a tachycystole looking um, thing. And we're like, Oh, do they need more pit? We can't give them more pit, but they're not really making change. Um, if you can just like treat the dehydration, I've seen that do wonders. So then now the contractions are stronger again mm-hmm. and they're more spaced out and you didn't have to do anything with their Pitocin. So you have to have that knowledge base of like, how does Pitocin work? How does the uterus work? How does labor work um, to know these sorts of things? So again, it like comes down to like, kids, we got to dive deep into this. <laughs> We've gone for a long time. My best friend's a CVICU nurse. And I remember when she, um, like best friend from college, um, Cheryl, she's a really great educator now, but we were, I was like two or three years ahead of her. Um, cause nursing's a second degree for both of us. Um, so she went to nursing school like three years after me and she got into the CVICU. And I remember going to her apartment and like what the, the books that she had spread out and what she was studying. It was like, when I realized I was like, I don't have that same level of knowledge as a two-year nurse that you're, that you are going to have as an ICU nurse. Like she knows everything about like the pressures, the pharmacology, the, this, like the pathophys. Like I was like, I don't, I don't know that as a new nurse, that same level. I don't have an equal skill set or knowledge that the, that nurses in the ICU are expected to have. And that's when I was like, giddy up girl, we're getting a book. (laughs) 
I learned something yesterday from you on your Instagram. Oh, for me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, like, I, I about you, which you. I was, no. <laughs> so I learned something from you that I didn't know about you, that you have been talking about Pitocin since 2014. That was my first conference. I actually, you are a Pitocin expert. I, <laughs> well, that's the other thing is when I started doing expert work, it was like eight years ago. And that was really in the heyday of like research around, um, protocol, best protocols for oxytocin on how to do it well. And so I remember thinking like, yeah, this will be a fun gig, but it's not going to last because we're going to have these protocols and everyone's going to adopt them and we're going to be so safe. And I, no one will get injured again. Hmm. We did, we did (laughs) not do that. And I am now busier than ever. So you have job security is what I, what do you think happened? Why don't you think that that happened? I think that there's a lot of selection bias. So the talk I'm coming down to talk about is, is the Pitocin paradigm. And the and a paradigm is like the kind of like the normal way of doing things. And we've officially crossed into that like greater than 50% induction and augmentation. So now mm. Pitocin is the norm. And I think mm. we can't imagine living without it. And so when all of these studies came out that were like, hey, basic tenant of nursing is use the lowest dose of a medication, right? That's like joint commission level stuff is like, you got to start that oxycodone at five. You can't give them 10, Mm -hmm. right? Like you always start with the lowest possible dose for everything. Basic, basic, basic nursing 101. And we just had all this information that was so challenging to our confirmation biases that we were like, no, like Stephen Clark has a protocol that's showed that you get the best outcomes on this very low dose. And if you follow this, it is nearly impossible to hurt somebody or hurt a baby. If you follow this, Stephen Clark, Stephen Clark, this man Uh is probably the most powerfully influential OB and still his policy, his protocol is not widespread widely spread, um, across the U S right. We don't want, we don't want anyone telling us we can't have our Pitocin. Mm -hmm. I think we, I don't know what it is. Um, but we just don't believe it. Um, I think we don't, we haven't seen enough physiologic birth and we haven't seen enough of the body just doing it like it does. Right. And I work somewhere where we have a 13% NTSV rate. So that means. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. That's very Um, impressive. (laughs) And and our induction rate is the same. Our augmentation rate is the same sort of as the nation. So it's not, it's what are we doing in that middle piece? Mm -hmm. We also have a 60% epidural rate. So 44% of our, our patients do not even get epidurals. And so I wouldn't say we're like particularly crunchy, but I, we had a lot of longevity as nurses. And in 1995, the induction rate was 10%. The induction and augmentation rate was like 9.8%. Those nurses trained me, Mm. right? And now we're in this Pitocin paradigm where nurses are now the ones who are doing the training don't, like you said, don't know what that is, but I worked, I was lucky enough that like Barb, you know, all I'm like shouting out all these nurses, like Peggy and Tenley and Barb and all these nurses who were like absolutely unflustered by normal birth. Yeah. And trained most of the nurses on my unit. So yeah, I just think that we can't, but then what's, so Stephen Clark's thing comes out like groundbreaking but what's the, what's the study that came out that we got the most, that got the most play? The ARRIVE. The ARRIVE trial, right? And because it, it felt, it, it confirmed what, what many people in inpatient care wanted yeah. to hear, right? So there's yeah. a lot of selection bias. This is confirming all of the work I'm doing for Cancun prep on physiologic coping. Okay, girl. Like massively. You- told me this summer at A1, do you remember? You're like, are you coming? I was like, no, I got these two trials. You're like, you're going to have FOMO. And I was like, oh, it's a conference. (laughs) Uh, I don't even really like going to Mexico. It'll be fine. And now I'm like, shit, damn it. I (laughs) It's going to be really fun. It's going to be nuts. 
and the learning is like very much down your out your alley I know probably will supplement everything that you do Uh, yeah but I have two two trials scheduled that week so one I don't even know how that's gonna work out but I am gonna be pissed if they both because most trials do settle I almost never go to trial like it's 300 plus cases. I've been to trial twice, like does not happen. I'm like, God damn it. I know they're going to settle. I know they're going to settle. I should just buy the tickets, but I'm like, but if they don't <laughs> watch, but they do, you're going to be so upset. All right. If they do though, I'm crashing and you guys are going to let me in. <laughs> Isn't that we can talk about going to be like $5,000, right? <laughs> Or not actually. When I went this last time, we left last we decided like two two weeks before, and the tickets were the cheapest we ever got. So okay, flex and flow. Settles, I'm crashing. I'll just wait outside the gates, like guys, give me a drink. <laughs> give me a drink. It's great. <laughs> well, because my friend Heidi, like my work wife here, was like, "Please, can we go?" And I was oh, like, "Yeah, I'm Heidi." Trials. Oh, sad. Well, and you just yeah. We'll see. We the hope judge, to see like, there. requires me to stay in the country. So I yeah, imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that. Yeah. There's a subpoena for my appearance. So <laughs> they'd be yeah. upset if I was right. Um, the sound bath. Not to change the subject completely, but I'm thinking about what you just said about the people that trained you versus the people that are training now. And so that's the reality we live in now. We're not, you know, our clinicals don't take us to home births or to birth centers when we're in school, right? We're going to see, I, even when I take my students on the units now, the first day in debrief, someone always inevitably says like, it's so much quieter than I thought. Like, you know, they just think like they're going to hear more labor sounds, but it is our, our unit (laughs) is quiet. No. And my unit is quiet. And we have, I think our epidural rate is between 80 to 90%. And the only people that don't get epidurals most of the time is that they're too late, right? They just come in fast and furious. And so how, what do we do? How do we encourage new nurses to one, believe in birth? And that's something that Sarah and I talk about, and she teaches on like, do you actually believe in birth and that birth works? And how do they, what do we do? Cause those people are retiring. Those nurses that had the 10% induction rate are leaving us in droves and we're already gone. Right? We're already gone. Right. And so what do we do? Um, you know, Jean Solera she used to run the fetal monitoring program at A1. She was here in Portland and we like, you know, when you go out to lunch with a nurse and like two hours later, you've solved every problem in nursing, right? Yes. <laughs> like problem solved, right? Yeah. This is how we are. Um, and I just, I've noticed a lot on Instagram, like this the conversation being like, if a hospital wants me to know something, they need to, they need to tell me and they need to pay me to learn it. Um, and I, I mostly do, I mostly agree with that, but what I think we forgot is how much nursing school has changed. And I don't think nursing schools and hospitals have, they need to talk about what they're being handed out of nursing school and like grabbing the baton from them. Because when I had, I had two days with donor certified doulas in nursing school in my labor and delivery class. Mm-hmm. That's what we had to do for, so we had like two, two hour lectures of like labor support skills. Like that That's was something cool. I learned in nursing school. I left nursing school being able to take three postpartum couplets. That was like, I knew how to do that. But, and I mean, you guys did too, probably like you could take, yeah, Sarah's nodding. and. I, but nurses now don't, and I don't. And so we're getting really hard on them. Like, well, I could do these things. And I'm like, I think we're not, we're, and it's always easier to blame the younger generation and be like, Gen Zers, they are lazy or X, Y, and Z. One, they're like the smartest generation of nurses. They have so much knowledge, but like, we're forgetting like they, I think nursing schools have been cutting back, cutting back. We know that some of them don't even get an OB class anymore. They're cutting back, cutting back all of these things. Like I learned how to read a strip in my OB class, like not well, but at least we had like, I had an entire semester of OB. I I had four weeks, full blown. I had a full blown. Yes. I also had a full blown. And one of those classes was how to read a tracing. Like, Mm -hmm. and we had like a special guest come in. And um, so I think we need to realize like, it's not these new baby nurses. I don't, I think that hospitals, (laughs) they need to talk. Because hospitals are now having to do it. I don't think that they were necessarily prepared to have to fully train 
square one nurses and there's this whole like, and yet they're cutting the orientation. So these preceptors are getting really, really frustrated and it's, and, and you can kind of, everyone's going to make their own choice, but I think there is enough good education that's reasonably priced out there. Buy some books. Books are super cheap, right? Phys- you know, and that's sort of that like falling in love process that you go through with birth. Um, so, you know, just pace it out. But I always tell people that they, like, I still take a physiologic birth class almost every year, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've taught them, but I, I take them. I take them from different people. I love, mm-hmm. I always learn a new little nugget or I like the way someone says a thing, right? Mm-hmm. But you do, you're going to, ha- yeah, they're going to have to, right at this point in the game, if you don't, if you, if you're like, I want to be a labor nurse, you will hate being a labor nurse if you don't supplement your education. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this goes back to, I don't remember what episode it was, Justine, where like somehow it came up of like hospitals should pay for it slash like I'm not working off the clock is mm-hmm. sort of the the idea. And I hear that everywhere now. And, you know, I think, I think there's a balance of like, yes, you need time off, but also you are responsible for your own listen to my, my scripting. I was going to say licensure, but that sounds legal. And I think it's for me, I don't mean it as legal. I mean, like you hold a license. Like I like the comparison to the ICU nurses of like, like we need to be experts in this stuff. And if you haven't, if your nursing school didn't prepare you and your unit isn't preparing you, this isn't like show up to a desk and like type some things out and like, we'll get by. This is like, humans, not only lives and safety, but also like timelines in their life, you know, huge day, massive days, (laughs) magical days in their life. Exactly. Yep. And so, so sort of this call to action of you need to be learning and you need to take your role and your profession and that art seriously. Yeah. I think other, other professions also do some of that too. Like it's not, um, but yeah, we're really swinging, swinging from one end to another. Um, it, it, and nursing's just gotten so shook up right now with like a lot of things, right? Because it's not only like we go to work and they're not giving us the things they do. They're also like pushing us harder than ever, like staffing acuity, all of those things. And so it feels unfair. Um, but I just, it's again, it's like, is it fair that you have to go toe to toe with like a toxic provider? No. Like your hospital should do with that. Like, do all of us need to make that choice that we're, that yes, it's not fair, but I'm going to be the adult. I'm going to be the professional. I'm going to do this thing. Um, I'm going to buy the physio, you know, physiologic Penny Simpkins book for $50 and read it. Sure. I bet your hospital should have given you that, but they didn't. So like, that's like also kind of a sign of, you know, maturity and growth, um, that we need to do some of, of that. Um, and it gets easier. Like you get into the flow. I read more now, the more knowledge I get, I find the more I also am seeking out because you start to get into the nuance of things. And that's where like the passion comes from and you're in this flow. And so like the, I do want to say anybody starting out, you're like, it's a way it's like, it's just a giant amount of information, but their true like pleasure of this comes in that expertise. So just like, yes, keep going, keep going. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love my job now more than ever. How about that? Mm-hmm. Like, I love being at the bedside more now than I ever have. Like mm-hmm. it feels better and better and better after whatever, 16, 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so burnout's not inevitable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like education might be sort of that bridge between and sort of hating your job and getting burnt out and it, it continues to stimulate the mind, but it also helps downregulate your nervous system so that you can cope because you are more confident in your skills and in your knowledge and in standing up for what's right and in advocating and oh, yeah. all of that. Knowledge is the secret sauce here. Like it, you, the more, you know, that, yeah, all it just, it really blossoms into everything. So yeah. Is it going to keep you more safe? Is it going to like quote unquote mm-hmm. protect your license? Is it going to, um, keep your patients from getting hurt? Yeah. And it's going to help you not get burned out. And it's going to keep you like, help you have that long, delicious, beautiful career that 
we want. So I mean, mm-hmm. I am like, I don't believe in like, I, I love all of the, like, get a hustle, leave the bedside. Like, yeah, get that, get that bad girls. But like, I'm never leaving the bedside. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have any interest in it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it. we all believe, I think we all stand for the fact that like, you don't have to leave the bedside, that there are other ways of doing it. And every, all the programs that both of us have are there to help support and help lift up the profession. So you do feel like you can keep going. And that, and what's the common denominator of what our side hustles? It's not my side hustle. It's my full-time times five hustle. It's all knowledge, you know, it's education and support. And, and that's where that, that secret, that's so funny that that's what came out of this episode. Cause it's like, you know, we're just not what we were going to talk about. (laughs) Right. Right. But also like, if that truly is the, the secret sauce to everything, including burnout, like do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Do it in a way that feels good. Pick the book that you want to read. Like, yeah, you, we know your hospital is giving you some like hell streams, some clicky clicky videos. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm, I like to read readings, like one of my main ways of learning. I like to like read something. Then I like to kind of like like practice it a little hands-on. And then I like to start then for me, really cementing my knowledge happened when I became an A1 fetal monitoring instructor. And then I was teaching it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people think like, I don't know enough, or when do I get to teach something? I was like, sometimes you don't know enough when you start teaching, but as long as you know, you know, you are sure of the things that you are saying, um, it's a really great way of also like learning and, um, and, and preventing that burnout too. So you don't have, even have, being a lifelong learner is often going to turn into people being like joyful teachers. Um, right. We're going to be those nurses in 30 years who new nurses are like, we, like, we all have that legendary nurse, right. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a nurse named Barb Cole. Like she may even still be a nurse. Like she's like someone who like says that they're going to retire like multiple times, but then like suddenly is back. Mm-hmm. And just like that, like chick badass, like she's badass, um, knows her stuff, but like trains nurses and, um, you know, that's like kind of who, that's what I want to be is that just like wackadoodle nurse that everyone, well, she's not wackadoodle. She's badass, but like (laughs) a character. She is a character. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Right. We're going to be the nurses that help get back to that 10% induction rate, or we're going to have the 13% NTSV rates and we're going to show our nurses, new nurses. So I don't know. I have a vision for the future that we'll, we'll get there again. Same. Well, I like hopeful visions. That's nice. Well, I feel like you did kind of just wrap it up, but is there one like last or two last things you'd like to say to these LMD nurses listening to you right now? Oh, one or two things. Um, or whatever. Yeah. Again, if someone's saying anything about the legal system, either out loud, I would love to hear what happens say, or to yourself say like, how do you know? How the fuck do you know? Sorry. (laughs) For emphasis, like really monitor who you're taking an information from Uh be protective of yourself. So are they a malpractice lawyer? Right. There's plenty of people out there that are like, I'm an, I'm a lawyer, but that's like taking OB advice from an ER nurse, right? So do they do birth injury? Are they a lawyer? Um, are they a plaintiff's attorney? Listen to the plaintiff's attorneys, right? Are they a nurse who does this sort of work and sees lots of cases, i.e. like, you know, me, people who actually know, listen to, if you're if somebody tells you something about Pitocin that doesn't sound right, say, how do you know? Like, are you Kathleen Rice Simpson? Are you <laughs> Stephen Clark? Are you writing these textbooks? Are you A1? No. How do you know? Like challenge it. Really be selective with what information you let in to your I practice. love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So yeah, that's going to be like kind of my big tip. So in nursing in general, but like for legal issues before you let it, before you let it in, be really selective. Do you want to talk about your classes a little bit? Sure. I also have a little Prezi for your people. So they can, they can get, um, 20% off of all of them. They're always like cheap because my main way of making money is being a nurse and being an expert witness. So this is kind of like more like, I don't, 
people think being an expert witness sounds really cool, but it, all I see is bad cases, right? Mm -hmm. I don't get good. There's no good case, right? There's no good outcome. So for me, the only way it's worth it, and I'm just like surprised more experts aren't, is like, we see so much and we see so many patterns. So my people are nurses. So I would be a terrible human if I didn't take what I saw and like shared it. Um, so I do keep them super cheap, but, um, yeah, I have a class on documentation for perinatal nurses. I have one just about the, um, malpractice process, the lawsuit process. I have one on postpartum unique issues, because I know we always talk about labor, but there are, um, I'm seeing more and more cases postpartum. And that's Mm. sort of like a specialty that I have, um, as an expert witness, um, and then I have a bigger class called reasonable and prudent. It's like 12 CEs and it comes with some live calls. And we kind of go through all of the ways to just like totally worry proof your practice. But I would say, um, and it's good. It can fit in anywhere with anybody, with any other courses that people are taking. Yeah. Speaking of other courses. So we have big part of our bundle with mentorship is shared decision-making and, protecting your license in that way. Um, now I don't even like to say protecting your license. Cause I feel like that's like fear keeping patients safe through shared decision-making process. And then on demand, we have our deposition and trial class that we have. We had an expert witness come on with us. And I remember Sarah talking about during it being like, what did you say? What was the line, Sarah? Like, I dare you to depose me or something. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'd kill that deposition. <laughs> but, and that's the, that's the goal, right? Through all of this that we just learned through Jen and through all this education of just calming your nervous system about it and being, not being so afraid and being more concerned with keeping patients safe and doing the right thing, which is ultimately what it comes down to as well. Perfection. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so we will have Jen's promo code in the class notes, as well as Stephen Clark information. And I can't believe you didn't even really talk about Kay Rice, your like love of your life. Uh, that didn't it even is. come up. It's- Kay Rice is the street name I've given to Captain <laughs> Rice Simpson. <laughs> it is also now I picked up that street name for you. Yes. So she doesn't know it. Never met the woman, but she's like <laughs> gotta be the most published nurse researcher. Yeah, she's and- amazing. She's gone gangsta lately. Like some of her major publications, the way she takes out other major people is, is, um, it's the TMZ for nurses. Let's just put it that way. It's <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Um, it's great. I, I will know. link that information in the show notes as well as where else to find Jen, but Jen, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Yeah. It was so yeah. nice to see you guys. Alexis, yeah. Yes, you do in person. That's fun. Well, thanks for spending your time with us during this episode of Happy Hour with Bundle Birth Nurses. If you like what you heard, it helps us both. If you subscribe, rate, leave a raving review and share this episode with a friend. If you want more from us, head to bundlebirthnurses.com or follow us on Instagram or TikTok. Now it's your turn to go and don't choose your own comfort over patient safety. We'll see you next time.